I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. When you talk about elite, there are few that have achieved that level of excellence in their specialty. With the NFL starting their season this past Thursday, Dr. Jim Bradley, orthopedic surgeon from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, has been the orthopedic surgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers for the past 29 years. More importantly, his leadership, which is developed at Penn State, captain of the team playing for Joe Paterno, has allowed him to be president of three of the most prestigious societies in sports medicine. His ability to develop people, his skill set in working on the elbows, knees, and shoulders is exceptional. It's rare that this type of individual not only has those skills, but has relationship building capabilities and uses them. We will take you on the journey of how Dr. Jim Bradley grew up in a real small town in western Pennsylvania and has made it to have had this level of success. Our guest, Jim Bradley. Welcome, friends. We're fortunate. We have one of the most creative men in orthopedic medicine. His leadership, his ability to build relationships, and his ingenuity around creating medical devices is unparalleled. Most of you, when you think about Johnstown, think about the flood. But you need to reposition that and think about Dr. James Bradley, who's our guest today. So welcome, doctor. Thanks, Jed. I really appreciate you having me. I want to talk about growing up in Johnstown, right? You grew up, you were a basketball player, and you had a father who played basketball. Talk about how he helped you in terms of your competitiveness, your leadership during those early days. It's pretty easy. My dad was a point guard for Pitt. When we started, I'm, I'm the first of seven kids. Quite frankly, the, I knew it was going to be a problem when I was getting a C in one of my classes and we were going into one of the playoff games in basketball. And he flat out told me, look, you are not playing in this basketball game if you get a C. End of discussion. Well, I think one of the one of the one seniors had something to do with it, but all of a sudden I was closer to a, a B. <laughs> and the only other thing you need to know about my father was is that we were playing against Altoona, and they had their point guard was named Candy Apple Allen. He was going he was going to Marquette on a Division One scholarship, and they had another Division One player. Well, that night I was a sophomore playing point guard against them, so we beat them, and I outscored them I think twenty four to sixteen. So I'm thinking I'm going to go home and have this, you know, pretty good reception. You know what he told me? He goes, Jim, you know, you don't go very well to your left, do you? <laughs> so you immediately know. And my mother just was just appalled. So that's kind of the way my father was. But he, it wasn't just for me now. I have brothers and sisters. Everybody's as good of athletes as me. I just happened. I mean, in Johnstown, what, what did we do? 
I had 40 boys my age and about four girls in my neighborhood. There were two football games going on. All we did was I went from football to basketball to uh, track, sometimes baseball. I mean, that's all we did was play sports. Well, how do you get into football? I mean, and why do you select Penn State? Well, I was really lucky. I, I in, in my on my senior year, four guys went Division One from Bishop McCord High School. We had a, we had a very good competitive team because you start in the fourth grade, you're in five on five football, off ball pads. In the fifth grade, it's eleven on eleven. We're playing eleven on eleven football in fifth grade, so we we, we developed pretty quickly. And then I was luckily, I you know I could run pretty well. So I literally, I had 88 scholarships. I had a scholarship to play basketball for Virginia as a point guard. Penn State was because of no one other reason, Joe Paterno and his wife Sue. Because they walked in and they took my parents and they let me go with the, the players and they took them to their house and we had dinner. And Joe just said to my father, he said, look, you know, he's got a four-year scholarship. If he gets hurt, he's got a four-year scholarship. He's not getting kicked off and we're going to make sure he gets a good education. Well, once my mother and father heard that, well, there was, I was there. I mean, I, I literally, I wanted to go, you know, either, you know, out west somewhere. I wanted to go. Miami recruited me, a bunch of other schools. It was over. It was over right there. I mean, you're captain of the team at Penn State. Yeah. Coach Paterno's in, uh, impact on you and, and how that, uh, that effect has affected well, you yeah. uh, your role today. I mean, clearly he must have had some role in your development as a leader. This is my first introduction. I'm there as a freshman. It's a seven o'clock meeting. I get there. Of like two of seven, everybody's in their seats. He screams at me for ten minutes about paterno time, being early, ten minutes early for everything. That's paterno time. Now let me tell you what happens though. Yeah, he he would stand behind me. I was a starting defensive back my junior year, and he would scream at me at the top of his lungs, "Bradley, you stink, you stink, you stink, you stink." He's screaming at me, right? So all the other guys were kind of felt bad for me, but he would he would knew that he wanted he needs to kick me in the ass if I'm going to go. So he gets me. I'm said I basically said, look, I'm going to show you how good I am. But here's the most important thing. Anything he did was my senior year. I needed an organic chemistry class so that I could graduate with my degree, and it was right during spring ball. And I told him, I said, Coach, I got a little problem. He says, No, you don't. He says, You're taking that class. So he let me skip one week, one day of spring practice every. No coach does that today. He was all about education. He also said something really important. He said, well, who was your best team? He said, I don't know who my best team will be for 20 years because I don't know what they turned into, what kind of men they turned into. That was the kind of guy he was. So talk about medicine. How, where, where did the idea of becoming a doctor and then specializing in orthopedics, had that develop? Well, so I went on. I was with the Bengals. You know what I mean? I just wasn't good enough. I, mean, I played behind Tommy Casanova, and I said, well, I'm going to go back to school. So I went down south to be with my grandmother uh, and study cell biology for a PhD. And I, quite frankly, I was bored. And I, I was getting very good grades and it just didn't stimulate me. And I said, you know, I'm going to try to get in medical school. So luckily I studied a lot for my boards and I got in my dad's alma mater, which was Georgetown, where I was born. And then when I went through there, it was, it's a great education. So then I went to the University of Tennessee where I learned uh, because they, they had too many, not too many injuries, not enough doctors at the time. It was a great place to train. So I learned how to do surgery really well, really quick, because I, they just threw you in the fire. Like you were on call, you were on call every other night for three months at a time. I mean, you're up every other night for three months. You, you learn pretty quickly. And then I got into pit really quickly with Dr. Ferguson, who liked football players. So I got a great orthopedic education. And then I was going to be, quite frankly, a cardiothoracic surgeon in medical school and, and like first came out. 
And then when I, I couldn't do it because it's not my personality to watch people die. I couldn't do it. I just, it's just not me. Um, I, I'd have been a crazy man by now. So anyway, I chose orthopedics and got in with Dr. Ferguson. It was quite obviously I was going into sports medicine. So I applied all over. And the, the two best places in the country were, were Jimmy Andrews and, and uh, Dr. Houston in, in Georgia or Curlin Job, where you know, Curlin Job Clinic in right. California. I interviewed out there. I interviewed well. On the way home, the next day, they asked me, would I like to be a fellow there? And I said yes. And then I was there for, you know, my year. It was a great year. They asked me to stay and take a job. And I, I was coming home to Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And I, I left L.A. and came to Johnstown, which is a huge dichotomy, right? <laughs> I just couldn't tell my parents that I was leaving. So I had a job in Pittsburgh. And I basically went back to Curlin Job and said, Dr. Curlin, this place would be a great place for me. But I'm not, a, I wouldn't be a good person here. I'd be a, my orthopedic life would be great, but personally, I don't belong here. I belong in Western Pennsylvania. So he understood, and I took the, the job with Oakland Orthopedics, and that's kind of how I got back to Pittsburgh. They said they, they offered me the job again. In addition, I mean, your, your specialty, shoulders, elbows, knees, how did that come about in terms of you really specializing in those three areas? Yeah. So at Curl and Joe was at, was at the tip of the spear. It's the top of the food chain. So we were doing things out there in California that nobody else was doing. So when I came back to Pittsburgh, I mean, I was doing stuff no one could do. I mean, they couldn't scope elbows. They couldn't scope shoulders. They couldn't do rotator cover piercing the scope. So I had my niche already made. And then probably the biggest thing that happened was I, I was a second opinion for the NFL. So I was seeing some of the Steelers as second opinions, and they were having some uh, uh, a, a turnover in their medical staff when – John Norig, our head trainer, my good friend, was, I didn't know him beforehand, but he started, they were looking for another doctor. So all of a sudden I get this, a year and a half out, I get this interview by Mr. Rooney. Uh, it says he wants to meet me. I thought it was just a, you know, an opening interview. That's all I thought. And so we talked for 55 minutes. We talked about people, current events, the church, the press, you know, what do you do with the, the thing, everything but football. And then five minutes of football. And, and, and then he said to me, the big turning point in my life, he said to me, would you like to take care of my football team? Well, my mouth drops. And he's, I said, well, do I have to sign something? He says, no, just shake my hand. So I shook his hand and I'm walking out of the room still a little shocked. And, and uh, Ralph Berlin, the head Steeler trainer, goes, puts his arm around me and goes, are you my new effing orthopod? I said, well, I don't know, Ralph. I shook his hand. He says, oh, don't worry about it. I shook his hand 27 years ago and I'm still here. So that's my contract. Well, it's 29 years. You, you've no, been there. Actually, I've been there. 30, this is my 30th year. 30th year. That's what changed the course of my life. Because once I got into that, you know, I was always, I've always been writing textbooks. I was always writing and doing some research. But that really catapulted me to that next level uh, where I was expected to do a lot more. So when you think about these different organizations that you belong to, that you've been named president of, uh, whether it's in the NFL or the American Orthopedic uh, Society, most doctors don't have the personality and leadership skills that you develop as an athlete and that you've brought forward in your in the profession. People recognize that and they you, you get these huge these huge opportunities. So talk talk about that. I mean, that's unusual. I mean, you got the skill, the personality, and then you run these you know, complex political organizations. Yeah, but that was all built in Johnstown. That was built in that small town where people shake their hand and say, what can I do for you? And guess what they mean? What can I do for you? Not what you can do for me. What can I do for you? So that was the basis. And then leaders aren't elected. They're chosen by their peers. 
and you can tell them, you can tell them, you can, you can smell them. What the captain of the Penn State team, you know, made me realize I have to get along with all kinds of nationalities, all kinds of socioeconomic features. You got to be able to talk differently to different people. And my mother was really good at that. I mean, she could talk to a king or a bum off the street. They would love her just the same. So I learned those skills there. And then I, I had one goal. There was, I think there's, well, I don't know how many, but there's very few people that have been the president of the Erudite Society, the NFL Physician Society, and the American Orthopedic Society Sports right. Medicine. Right. Very few. I, I, I'm not going to say the number, but I know it's it's less than it's a handful, less than a way less than a handful. Yeah. And I said to myself, if I'm going to do this, like I'm going to go for this. This is what I want to do. And I just finished my term as the AOSSM uh, president. And that gives me all three. So that's my that was my trifecta goal. The goal, as you know, is I love inventing stuff. Love it. So to change a way an operation can be done quicker, more efficiently, and yet the outcomes be better by developing devices, really enthusiastic. I'm enthusiastic about that because I'm not a good, I would never be a good chairman, but I'd be a good captain, if you will, to, to get people together. So there's there's two types of skills for captains or, or uh, chairman, whatever. Or you can be up here, the king, and never hire anybody that will ever usurp you, or, which I don't like, or you can be hiring the smartest possible people around you to float the boat and then make you smarter, and then let the competition begin. So that's that's kind of the way my leadership style is. I've done it wherever I was. It's it's always about my constituents. It's never about me. I have no preconceived ideas like that. I just I don't know. I I do that. Well, the other thing, in yeah. terms of developing fellows that come to you, I mean, you've got you. I mean, you take pride in these uh, oh. young men and women that they come and you put your arm around them and, and you mentor them and they go off. And, and have unbelievably successful careers. Oh, I've got, we've got fellows that come out of, out of here that are taking care of every major league team you can think of, every league, major league baseball, basketball, football. They take care of the U.S. ski teams. They take care of uh, the freestyle teams. I mean, we are, our, our lineage here is really good. And I think it is because we, we, are very, we pick very well and we don't really care what you look like. I don't care what you look like. Can you do the job? That's all I care about. You, we pick the right people. That's what we pick. And then luckily we got a really diverse group of people because there's a lot of people that can do it. But there's very few select ones that, that get it all. There's very few. It's, it's Absolutely. Do. So talk about the relationship with the Steelers. You talked about Dan. You had two, you've had two head coaches during your period of time working work there, which is, if you look across the National Football League, again, is rare. So obviously, the individuals, our guest today, is very rare, rare earth. I mean, you're dealing with Cower, Tomlin, Dan. How do you manage that? Plus high-profile ego players. I'll, I'll give the coaches first. Look, Bill Cower and I came together. We were the same age. So we hung together, and we, we developed a great relationship. Now, Bill would yell at me. And I'd yell back, but that was our relationship. And once he realized that I was going to yell back, he was he was bad. We were good, and we we did it. We did we really worked well together. And then Mike Mike is a little different than Bill. Mike is more of a communicator and not a yeller. All right, but that's not good and bad. That's just his coaching style. And Mike and I have gotten along great. And I you know talked to Mike all, I mean all the time. And the, as for the players, well, they knew I was a player, right? And they knew I actually played in the NFL and and was was cut. And so I, I can feel their pain and I can talk to them as a player. I mean, I understand football. I understand the defenses. In fact, if you 
and I stand next to Charlie Batch or one of the quarterbacks, and I'll say, they'll say, what's the play? I'll give you the play. And I'll say, and the one guy goes to me, he goes, well, I said, no, I know the place. You know, I know the defense. And so they, they respect that. Plus, look, I'm, I'm a player's guy. You take care of the players the best way you can, it pays dividends. If you don't, it's going to destroy your club because trust is everything. They have to trust you. If they don't trust you, you can forget it. So I think that my best thing is I communicate well with the players because I was a player and I know I understand the language and I can ask them. Like when someone gets a concussion, for example, what's the first thing I ask them? I ask them about one of the plays they're supposed to do. They've got to know the sequence of plays. And I know that they're wrong or not. So that's kind of what. So you, how about ownership? Dan Rooney is a unique individual, God rest his soul. I ate dinner with Dan Rooney every away game for 26 years. And he would get mad if, if sometimes I couldn't show up for one other reason. Any great organization starts at the top. You look at any, and, and, and everybody knows where they belong on the rungs of the way down. And Dan was one of the most interesting, fun guys in the world. I miss him every day. He, I, say to my, I say to my fellows, if I'm half the guy he was, I'm a success. Right? And his, his son Art is taking over for him. But Art and I are different because we're the same age. We've been friends for a while. But his father was one of my mentors. I have a talk that says what it takes to be a sports medicine doctor. And one of my points is choose your mentors wisely. Dan Rooney was my mentor handling people. Everybody liked him, right? But he was strict too. And, and he, he, but he made fun of himself too. So you, another thing I learned from him is you, sometimes you got to make, make fun of yourself because everybody kind of tones down. So who, when you, you mentioned Dan was one of your mentors, who would be two or three people that you'd point to? Yeah, so my mentors were, it's fairly obvious for me. It was, it was uh, obvious my father had a big impression on me first for, in early in my life. There was a guy named Andy Wissinger in Pittsburgh, this Wissinger Rod, taught me how to think uh, in flow charts when I operated on it so I wouldn't get in trouble. You know, was, there was always a flow chart in your mind. If this happens, you do this. If this happens, you do this. And then when I went, uh, obviously, to Curlin Job, for whatever reason, Bob Curlin was like a football coach and swore at me all the time, but I was used to that. But Frank Job took me under his wing. And I was kind of like Frank Job's boy. I was like his bodyguard almost, which allowed me to be introduced to all these famous surgeons when I would sit by him like his bodyguard. And then they all got, got to know me. So then I had this group of people that I could call when I, when I got into the league that would help me. Further on down the line, along with that, was a guy named Jimmy Taboni. He was a younger guy. that was a really good surgeon out there. And he, and he mentored me along also, along with the other, the other guys there. But probably the three biggest ones were, were, were Dr. Job Curlin and, and Jimmy Taboni and teaching me, you know, how to do things. Jimmy Taboni, by the way, is the longstanding um, team physician for uh, Southern Cal. And the other thing most people may not know is that you had a near-death experience after a surgery yourself, and yes. you've come yes. back from that. I mean, most people might have retired. I mean, you went through a period of time. It was really difficult, but you've come back stronger than you were before. Yeah, I had six operations in a month, I think it was. It was, it was a little testing at the time. And the, the, yeah, it was, it was, but you know what? Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I guess. Well, it has, without question. So if you think about the two or three things you're the most proud of that you've achieved uh, in your career, what would they be? Well, the first thing I'm most proud of is I have a gorgeous daughter that's really intelligent and she's really, you know, uh, kind of the apple of my eye, but like she's a self-motivator and, you know, 
I think I had something to do with that. I mean, she's a really interesting person and you've met her sure. and she's got a lot of anyway. things to do. So probably the second, the second uh, most influential was early on with my father. Um, my brother, Tom and I are best friends. So he, he con constantly influences me. He's a longtime coach at Penn state and is a Steeler coach. And then kind of the guy that I would look up to uh, in, the, in, in what I do, and I, I know really well, is actually a guy named Jimmy Andrews, who's an iconic sports medicine doctor who he taught me so many things. I mean, just one story. So about communication, right? So it's the opening of baseball season. I am playing with Jimmy in a tournament at Chardonnay Country Club in Napa. We can win this tournament. I'm on hole 16. I'm going, Jimmy, we can win this tournament. He says, I got to make these calls. He made 19 phone calls in a cell phone in 18 holes, and we came in second. But he said to me, Jim, you got to communicate with your player. And, and so I looked at him and I said, I need to do it like he does it. Talking about your successes, you mentioned about your daughter. What else from the standpoint of what you've achieved personally? Personally, I don't think the presidencies, that was just a goal of mine. I just think that I'm, I'm kind of I'm good at what I do. And, and I, I, I put the patient first. I don't put anything other than the patient first. And I and like I don't go to work. I go to what I love to do. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. So I'm the most proud that I've built an organization here that puts out great fellows. We take care of patients the right way. And hopefully down the line, they're going to say, you know what? I learned this from Bradley and that's my pass on. That's kind of what I like. Well, I mean, having you visit with us today uh, has been a really unbelievable experience. Just listening to you talk about how you grew up, uh, how you've developed your skills, not only as a leader, but in the expertise of what you do as a surgeon and how you train and develop people. So again, uh, we thank you, appreciate your friendship that we've had, th that we've had through the years and the surgeries that I've been through uh, with you. So uh, I've gotten some of that treatment and can talk firsthand about it. <laughs> well, again, uh, we appreciate you taking time uh, and uh, best of luck, stay healthy and uh, go Steelers. Thank you.